Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It was on Kitty Baxter's ninth birthday, on the 1st of September 1939, that the first Second World War evacuations of children from London began. Under the threat of Luftwaffe bombardment, children from London were taken in their thousands and sent to the rural British countryside. The aim was to escape the looming threat of indiscriminate bombing, but the impact would separate families. Separated from their parents, all Kitty and her siblings had were pillowcases of belongings, a set of pyjamas, a couple of pairs of pants, a toothbrush, and of course a gas mask in a cardboard box. What happened next, over a series of three evacuations during the entirety of the Second World War, would change Kitty's life, split her and her siblings, and change her family life forever. I'm your host, James Rogers. This is the Warfare Podcast. And to take us through the experience of evacuees during the Second World War, we are joined by Kitty herself. She takes us through what it was really like to be an evacuee, what it was like to live through such a turbulent time in history. So here is Kitty Baxter on being an evacuee. Hi, Kitty. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you very much. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. We're going to hear your entire personal history of your time as a, as an evacuee during the Second World War. But before we get into all of that, I'm keen to hear about what life was like before then, because you were born in the 1930s in Camberwell, South London. You're one of five children, so you must have had one hell of a busy, bustling household. What was life like in London before the war? It was beautiful. Life in London is always beautiful. And having a family with five children is also beautiful. There was always so much. I had two older sisters, so I had to mind my P's and Q's and be a very, very good girl. But that was the uh, good side. And the, but the downside was I never got new clothes, never, ever. Having two big sisters, that was what you had to wear. And after two big sisters, two little brothers came along. So uh, that was even more, more interesting. But my younger, not the youngest, the younger brother, who, was, who came along, I think, five years after the three girls. My dad went crazy. He thought that the world had suddenly come upon him. He's got a boy. This is absolutely wonderful. But even he had to wear, originally, a dress to go to bed in. 
because we couldn't afford clothes. You know, he had one of my old dresses until he realised what he was doing. Then he objected. Oh, wow. So a truly, really busy household. I remember the hand-me-downs. I've got two older brothers, you see, Kitty. Uh. (laughs) So by the time these clothes got down to me, I mean, they were basically rags with patches on the knees, patches on the elbows. I mean, it was... uh, It's all part of having a big family, isn't it? It's all part of having a a good life and a big family. Yeah. But the funny thing was, James, I was spending some time with my grandchildren and she went to bed, my granddaughter, and I looked at her jeans and they've got big holes in them. And I thought, oh, poor girl. So I stitched them all up. When she got up the next morning, she was furious. That's how they're supposed to be then. (laughs) So now, now, it's a thing to have holes in your jeans. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. You see, we're not keeping up with the latest fashions here, you see, Kitty. (laughs) Yeah, life is good. So tell us, what did your your mum and dad do? Mum, she would go out at five o'clock in the morning. She worked at the uh, war office. She used to go clean the war office. And dad was a road sweeper. He worked in the city of London. He used to go out early to, to sweep. But he enjoyed his life. They enjoyed his life and uh, until the war broke out and then Dad joined the army. He was 40, he volunteered because uh, he went for his local drink at the local pub and somebody had a poke at him because he wasn't in the army. So he decided he'd have to volunteer, despite the fact that he'd left five children at home for my mother to take care of. Oh, wow. So your dad would have been just a bit too young for the First World War, is that right? Exactly that, exactly. That's why. Wow. That's why he felt he had to do his bit, yes. It was, it was his duty, he thought. Yeah. I get you. So war made your life change an awful lot then, really. Your dad went off to serve, your mum's left home with the five kids, and and then soon enough it must have come clear that you had to be evacuated. When did you s- sort of realise that the war was changing your life so much? The first day we were evacuated. Because we got to, um, my, I was evacuated with my two older sisters because the two younger brothers were too young. Uh, you had to be over five to be evacuated without your parents. Uh, some people, if they were younger, and they could go with their parents, but my mother didn't want to take the two boys. So I was evacuated with my two big sisters. And it was on the day of the evacuation that I realised this wasn't so good as I thought it was going to be because I thought we evacuated on my birthday, the 1st of September. And I thought it was a birthday present, but it turned out not to be. And so the first evacuation was harsh because when we got to the country, Ipswich it was, we were all told to stand up in the school and they came in and picked us up. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. I'll take that one, one by one. And um, my sister said, no, you can't take one because we're three, we're all sisters and we have to stay together. But eventually uh, nobody would take three. So one of my sisters had to go off and be evacuated separately to us. My eldest sister and I, we were evacuated together, but it took us a whole year to find out where my other sister was because nobody would sell us. And she was evacuated to a very nice house and she was thoroughly spoiled. She had private education, her own room, which was something unheard of. And after a year when the phony war, which they called the phony war because nothing happened in London for the first year, after the phony war finished, mum came to bring us back. She didn't want to come back. She said, no, I'm happy where I am. I don't want to go back. And this woman that took her had a son. She said, I don't want to leave my brother. It didn't matter how we insisted on telling her that you've got two brothers. Oh, no, they're not my brother, she said. And when she did come back to Camberwell, she wasn't happy. She stayed there for a while, but then she falls her age and joined one of the women's forces. And she joined what was called the Women's Land Army. And uh, she stayed there for a few years 
And then after that, she joined the £10 POM scheme, which was you could pay £10 and go to Australia. She joined the £10 and went to Australia. And that was virtually the last we heard of her. So we really lost my sister from that evacuation time. So we think about all of the military consequences of the war, but really you look at those social consequences, those personal consequences, and it really fractured your family at this period in time. That did, that did. But that wasn't the only one that fractured our family. We had Billy, who was uh, the next one down to me. Their mum had another child. And going down the shelters, he called a chest complaint. He was coughing so badly that mum took him to the hospital and unfortunately had a coughing fit there and we lost him. It turned out what they called shelter cough, but it was in fact whooping cough, which now children have injections for, but they didn't have them then during the war. So we lost our baby brother then, early in the war. Dad came home on embarkation leave, which is a special leave. I can remember him carrying it with this little white coffin. That was so sad. So we already lost one baby, one child. So we just carried on. And then my sisters got to um, 14 years of age, and then you went to work. At 14 years of age, you started work. So they started work. And because of the um, doodlebugs, the, uh, they had these aeroplanes came. And because of the doodlebugs, mum decided, and Billy, the boy, he was now about six or seven nearly. And because he was climbing all over the bomb sites, again, into all sorts of trouble, mum couldn't keep up with it all. She decided to have been him and I evacuated. So I was landed with him then to the second evacuation. That was quite nice. But then we came back. I remember talking to a few people who were evacuees during this time, Kitty. And one thing that especially the the guys who were young men at the time tell me is that they would go out onto the bomb sites to go and find bits of bits of shrapnel, bits of scrap from the bombs and swap them in school. So it's incredibly dangerous because they'd head out there trying to find the best bits they could. And sometimes the mothers, the fathers would send their kids off as evacuees because they didn't want them hunting around London for these bits of scrap. Exactly that. That was exactly that. That was true. You had the same problem as well, did you? Yes, we did. And it was like a contest. This is a bigger bit. No, this is a shinier bit. And also the other problem was they would climb in, and myself, they were climbing up into the bond sites and pretending to blame mothers and fathers, sitting in chairs and the curtains were blowing out into the atmosphere, completely bare. And we just got into all sorts of trouble. I myself bit of an entrepreneur, I used to um, collect planks of wood and I would collect the planks of wood that I'm standing on, chop them up into little bits and take them around to all the flats to try and sell them. I used to sell firewood. <laughs> Did you make much money? I don't know, but whatever I made went to get to my mum. Oh, that's pretty ingenious though. I'll give you that. That yeah, makes perfect yeah, sense. Yeah. Got to keep those fires <laughs> roaring, get that firewood going. Yeah. I also remember talking to a few people and they'd be like, oh yeah, we used to go in a uh, go and play and swim down at the crater. And I was like, oh, what was that? And they were like, oh, literally, it was just one of the giant holes that was left by a parachute mine, and it would fill with water in the summer, so we'd go and swim in it. Exactly, exactly that. And also, there was the USB, unexploded bombs. Oh, they were yeah. all around, and people weren't aware of it. And then they see these bombs, and say, oh, no, what's that? And then they say, don't touch it, don't touch it. And you want to get away, and then they had these special people come in to, to put it right, but... There was also, all around us, unexploded bombs. And some of those unexploded bombs were made deliberately to remain unexploded until they were touched. There were things like the butterfly bomb that was dropped on London. It was this small, like, cluster bomb that was designed yeah. to look weird so that children would deliberately go and pick it up. Play with it, yes, exactly that, yes. 
And so this is why you were sent out of London. This is why to get away from these dangers. What was it like during that second evacuation then? Where were you sent? We were sent to a place called Hastings. But I have gone before my story because while we were at Hastings is when we lost Charlie, the youngest boy. I see. It was then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it became back for the funeral. We were reluctant to go, but because of the uh, belief that my brother getting into all sorts of trouble and me selling firewood, monk on crap, as I just mentioned to you. So we were sent away again the third time to Blackpool. That was amazing. Okay, so you were sent to the sea both times. I'm just wondering, this is something that's always kind of been a question in my mind. Now, we know that London got it bad during the Second World War, and we know about the Blitz spirit and the fortitude of London. We know about places like Coventry as well, that also, you know, Coventryization was the term given to such levels of destruction of a city. But, you know, loads of towns and cities, especially coastal towns around the UK, also had their own experience of bombing, their own blitzes and bombardments. Were you safe in those places? Were you safe in Hastings? Were you safe in Blackpool? Or did you also have to get down in the shelters there? And was there an experience of bombing there as well? Well, in Hastings, we weren't that long enough to experience any bombing. But in Blackpool, it was a given that Hitler didn't bomb Blackpool because it was well known that he wanted to keep Blackpool when he got into England, as his favourite place to play, his spot, his place. So he never bombed. And also, there was a huge American base in Blackpool. uh, The Americans had come into the war by then because uh, the bombing in Japan. So hundreds of Americans were based in Blackpool. Oh, wow. And also, it's on the West Coast, isn't it? So it's a little bit harder for the Luftwaffe to get across and start bombing. So you were just at that point where you were at safety, I suppose. And I didn't know that Blackpool was Hitler's favourite seaside town. So I suppose that gave you a bit of security as well. Oh, I didn't know at the time. I've read since. But I did wonder at the time, how is it we can go down to the beach? How is it we can go to the fun fair? How is it that we're all in this wonderful time here at Blackpool? A mum who's at home worrying about the bombs. By this time, I'm 13 years old. So I'm beginning to worry and wonder. Yeah, it must have felt like different worlds. And yes. when you headed back down to London, when your time as an evacuee came to an end, what was it like? Was it, had London changed much since you were last there? Well, by that time, yes, it had changed because the bombing had ceased. It didn't actually cease, but it wasn't so heavy. But the time in Blackpool, the evacuation in Blackpool was quite... Um, Unique for me, because when I got there, it was a house full of women. And I thought, well, this woman's got a lot of daughters, but it happened to be a house of being repute. <laughs> and they looked after me really well, these girls. And uh, I didn't know, and I didn't understand at the time. But I knew that I'm uh, coming up to 14 and I had to get a job. And I do remember asking one of the girls, you don't seem to go out to work. How come you don't have to go to work? And I'm worried because I can't find... I hadn't had any education from the age of nine because the schools in London all closed. If they opened, it was only for an hour or two. And um, I said to the girl, how come you don't go to work? She said, I do, dear. She said, I take care of the American soldiers and they pay me. Well, this is a good idea, I thought. I think I'll do that. So I wrote to my mother and I said, I won't be coming back. I'm going to take care of the American soldiers and they'll pay me. Because she came down, when she got that letter, she was absolutely fuming. And I still couldn't understand why she was so angry. Why are you saying, how dare you, she said to this WVS woman's voluntary, so how dare you put my daughter in such danger? I'm thinking, why is she going off with that woman? And I said, but mum, everybody jived. I thought she meant because they told me to jive. 
<laughs> oh, wow. So did your mum drag you back down to London by the ear? Yes, and Billy, yes. Billy didn't want to go because all he had to do was come in, put a plate on the table, because the Americans stayed overnight, put a plate on the table and smile, and they would give him money. Then he's back down the seaside. And I never had to worry about him because I knew where to find him, down at the seaside, where the town was, where all the big dipper and everything was. So he was living the life of Riley. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is ideal. But then you get dragged back down to London. And, and, and what about your family home when you were down there? I mean, did, did that suffer at all during the war? Did you manage to, to miss being hit by, by the bombs, by the V1s, the V2s, or, or, or was your house struck? It wasn't in a house. I lived in a block of flats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I lived in a block of flats. So uh, it was only struck once by an USB during the time that I was in London. And we had to come up and go to a school, and we stayed in the school. They had beds like they have in Ukraine at the moment, beds in the school, and you'd shared a hall with about 30 or 40 other families until they someone taken care of the USB. Ah. Mm. And then we yeah, could come Yeah, back. that makes sense. Do you remember much of living under the sporadic bombing at that time? Do you remember things like the V1s and V2s going overhead? Oh, yes, absolutely I do. I'm 13 years old. I mean... I'm sure you could remember what you were doing at 13. Even when the war broke out, I'm nine. I mean, it's an age where you do remember, yes. So what was it like at this time? Because you mentioned Ukraine now, and we've seen those horrible sights of blocks of flats being bombed. I mean, do you resonate with their experience? Can you remember what it was like living under that fear of bombardment? Yes, I do. Near where I lived in Camberwell, there was a park called Kennington Park, where Billy and I used to play frequently, but he'd been playing out one day. So mum says to him, you're not going out. You're not going out, so you can stay in here. So because I'm his charger, I had to stay in and look after him. So we didn't go to Kennington Park that day, but that particular day, a bomb dropped on the shelter. There was a shelter in Kennington Park. The siren got during the day, as it often did. And there was 160 people killed in Kennington Park that same day. Move over Rome, move over Greece. This month on The Ancients, we're heading to the Americas. North, Mezzo and South. Join us every Sunday this August as we explore this area of the world's extraordinary distant past with leading experts. From the rise and fall of Teotihuacan to the mysterious Nazca Lines. A journey through the ancient Americas every Sunday this August on The Ancients from History Hit. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. They ordered 60 shrouds, but they had to fill it in because the body parts were unrecognizable. They could only tell whether it was a boy or girl or a man or female from the hair, if it was a long hair, which we all had in those days. But it's still there today. The bodies, they filled it in. And, there's, and it took 20 years before they put a memorial up in that park. And it was only because the people of that area insisted and learned about it and insisted on having it. They say that when it comes down to, you know, war and trauma and the effects of war on the mind that when you live under that time that experience every single day of your life it it becomes normality to see that level of death around you i can't imagine that i'm sure our listeners can't imagine that is that what it was like for you did you get used to those levels of destruction oh absolutely you did i mean you knew if you're going out for a walk especially when the v1 the v2 came you knew if you're going out for a walk if you heard a plane coming above you because the second one, the B2s, they didn't have any warnings. And so you'd go out, and if you heard this plane, you knew you had to just go down. But you couldn't stay in indefinitely because you never knew when they were going to come. The only odd bit about it was the rationing. You know, we had a certain amount of food. And because we were a, rather a big family, the rationing didn't bother us that much because you got like two ounces of this and three ounces of that. But with a bigger family, it was quite a lot. And we didn't have the money anyway. Yeah, you bought what you could afford, and it turns out when it comes to rationing, that's what you could afford anyway. Yes, exactly that. It's exactly that. I went down to Camberwell last week, and uh, the shop where we had our rationing was turned into a house. All the shops around there were all now homes turned into houses. Yeah, which is a shame. But um, on the end of the war, near the end of the war, when the evacuation was all finished, and we were beginning to get a sigh of relief. I remember going home and um, they had a letter come through the door because all, previous to that you used to get telegram. If there was some news, it was a telegram, but all the telegram boys had joined the army. So this was an ordinary letter with across the front, OHMS, on His Majesty's service, which I thought, oh, mum, you've lost your job, I think, because she worked for the War Office. There's a letter from the War Office saying you've lost your job. Open it, she said, oh, my God, what am I going to do? She said... I can't find another job. I can't find another cleaning job. But when I opened it, it read, we regret to inform you of the death of your husband on active service. Right towards the end of the war, my dad had been killed in Casino in Italy. Ah, in the, ba- yeah. in the Battle of Monte Cassino. Yeah, which I've read since was a battle that was totally unnecessary. Thousands of men trying to get up to this fortress at, at the top of a mountain and they've just been mowed down like flies. Men from all nationalities trying to get up that fortress. And eventually, the Americans came in at Salerno and went round that mountain and got into Rome first, which was quite sad. And I think, I think it was a battle that's not been made much of because it was a mistake. Do you know what? In general, I think the Italy campaign hasn't been made much of. You, you had those periods of time when 
the men who served there. And my granddad served in, in Italy, Kitty. And they're known as, as D-Day Dodgers, as, as, exactly. as I'm sure you know. But it was yeah. a brutal, brutal campaign. Yeah. My granddad was a, a sergeant in the Coldstream Guards, uh, <laughs> leading his, his men through. And um, I mean, he saw some terrible things and his best friend died right next to him at that time as well. Would well, you know where and in what regiment your father served? Yes, he was in the Middlesex Regiment. And um, what happened there, because he was a bit, a bit older, they made him a Batman to an officer. So he, with his officer and two young soldiers, were in a tank and the tank went over a landmine, which blew them all up. Dad were laid for two days before he died, you know, wounded. And they sent letters, eh? After said he had bullet wounds in his arms, legs, and head. And for donkey's years, I kept thinking, that's ridiculous. How could he survive one hour, let alone two days, with bullet wounds in their head? And eventually, they sent another letter saying, eh, We're sorry, it wasn't bullet wounds, it was shrapnel wounds. You know, they never got anything right, but then again, that was the war. They said bullet wounds, but it wasn't bullet wounds, there were shrapnel wounds. But I did think for many years, how could my dad live for two days with bullet wounds in the head? It's strange, isn't it? It is strange. And, you know, it wouldn't have been long after that that everyone started to celebrate VE Day victory in Europe. But I can imagine for your family, it was uh, a less of a time to celebrate. You're absolutely right, James, because uh, I recall, I'm nearly 14, looking up the Petri Widgeon, there was this huge table, which we're going to get later for the Queen's Jubilee. And um, there were all people out there with lemonade, cakes and things I'd never seen. And uh, I'm looking out the bedroom window. My mother said to me, you can stand there and look there as long as you like. You're not going out there. We've got nothing to celebrate. But I understood that and I didn't want to go anyway. There was nothing for me. My baby Charlie boy, Charlie had gone through the shelter cough. Dad had gone. Why would I go out there and celebrate? So I didn't. I didn't celebrate VE Day. No. So how did your family begin to, I was going to say move on, but you never move on. It's yeah. continue living, get on, I suppose, after the war. You know what, James? I console myself daily with the fact that Dad had this menial job, but my sister, Mary, the one that uh, went to the um, private school and didn't want to come back, she was the only one that passed what they called the 11 plus. We didn't take it. I didn't take it because it was war was on, but she passed 11 plus. And she got to uh, top school. And she used to teach my dad how to read and write before he went in the army, which was absolutely amazing because he was able to read and write letters. But also, I also console myself to this day that dad had this really menial job of being a, a road sweeper, although he never complained and he got to meet lots of different people. He joined the army and I've got photographs of him looking so proud and he got to be a proud soldier in the end of his life. So this is something I can still console myself with today. Well, Kitty, I think that's definitely the approach to take. And what did you do after the war? After the war, lack of education. My mother was insisted I worked in an office. What can I do in an office, Mum? I'll go work in Woolworths. That was like a Tesco store. And she said, no, you won't. You work in an office. So I worked in an office making the tea. I used to take the tea bag to all the people in the office. But it was a printer's office to a printing company and I used to go into the printing place and watch how they made up advertisements putting in little things and this that and that advertisement and then afterwards I thought well this is clever so uh, I got a job after that 
after watching that and getting on and watching all that, how advertisement it's all made up, I got a job in an advertising agency for a couple of years and I was able to charge, I was in the, the accounts department, I was able to charge the people that were putting the advertisements in, OXO or Bista or something, they put an advertisement in, I was able to charge them the amount that that advertisement was going to cost. There you go. Kitty, thank you so much for sharing your personal history and your, your family history and giving us a, a better understanding of, of what it was like living in London and then being an evacuee during the Second World War. I mean, I didn't know that children had to be sent back and forth so often as well. And it's such an upheaval in your entire life. Where can people read more about your history and understand more about this experience during the war? To be honest with you, James, writing this book was just, I think I already mentioned to you, was not for publication necessarily. It was to tell my children to stop moaning. Look what I needed to do when I was your age. And somebody said to me, I think it was strange, I met somebody in the park, in a local park. And um, I said to this bloke, cheer up, because he looks so miserable. Did I tell you this? No, you didn't, know. No, no. So I'm walking around that open square where I live now, and there was a chap sitting there, all miserable. So I looked at him and I said to him, oh, cheer up, life's not that bad. And he looked at me and he said, you're not from around here, is it? That's a different accent. Where are you in from? It was at Grosvenor Square, which is quite a valid square. And I said, no, I don't, I'm not from around but I live across the boat. I live there near that. I said, no, I'm from Campbell. So he said, oh, is that I used to live in Campbell? So I said, oh, that's nice. So we, we had a laugh and a chat. And then I said to him, just off the chance, you don't have to know they published you. He said, I'm writing a book. So he said, I do as a matter of fact. He said, just a minute. So he typed in, go in touch with Susie. And she took the Oh, wow. Yeah. No, it was just coincidental and Susie got the book. Fair enough. Well, the name of the book is An Evacuee's Childhood by Kitty Baxter. Mm. And it's published by Allison and Busby Limited. Kitty, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about your history. And uh, you're always welcome on the Warfare Podcast. Thank you so much. It's lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. Thanks for listening. But before you go, a reminder that you can now follow along online on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2, on Instagram at James Rogers History, and on TikTok also at James Rogers History. You can also subscribe to our free Warfare Wednesdays newsletter. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Via the link in the show notes. 
And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland, further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.